continue to pray this morning. God, we do worship you. We bring you praise this morning from our lips, from our heart. Uh, With everything that we have and everything that we are, we say blessing, honour, glory and power to you, God, the Lamb who sits on the throne, one who walked this earth, who we have seen your glory, who we have seen your grace, grace and truth of the one and only Lord Jesus, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Son of God, Messiah, Israel's King, our Lord, our Saviour, we worship you this morning. God, in this place as we open your word, would you show your glory, Lord, afresh to us? Would you transform our hearts and our lives? We pray as we look to you, Lamb of God. We pray that transformation in our hearts and in our lives would take place this morning. God, thank you that your word speaks afresh today as it did the day John the Apostle penned it under the power of your Holy Spirit. God, our hearts are open. Speak, we pray. Change lives. Build our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd open your Bibles this morning, It would be great. We're looking at John chapter 2 and verses 1 to 11. John chapter 2 and verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana. In Galilee, Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And he said, uh, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best. Till now. And then John writes, This is the first of his miraculous signs. Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples 
put their faith in him. This morning, as we come to look at this passage, I'm praying. Um, I'm really praying this morning that what takes place in these next uh, 30 minutes or so will be that you will see the glory of Jesus. That as we look at this passage and as we unpack what is written here, that you will see Jesus in all his glory. This is surely what was the hope as John wrote this gospel. If you have a look at John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John was writing about the Word who became flesh, and he says, We have seen his glory. We've seen his glory. And we're writing so that I'm writing so that you can see his glory too. And so that in seeing his glory, you would then have faith. If you look at the end of this passage today, verse 11 that we just looked at, it says, uh, This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Canaan in Galilee. Thus, he thus revealed his glory. (laughs) And his disciples put their faith in him. My prayer this morning is that you would not only see Jesus in all his glory, but that in seeing Jesus in his glory you would put your faith in him. Some of you for the first time this morning, some of you who have already put your faith in him would be strengthened and deepened in your faith as you gaze upon Jesus in all his glory this morning. And and this is surely why this passage is here. You'll remember that we looked earlier on that the very reason that John uh, wrote this gospel is found in John chapter 20 and verse 31. And this is what he said, why these things are written down. He said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So my prayers this morning, you'll see the glory of Jesus in his word, that you would have faith because of his glory and that because of that faith that you have, you may have life in his name, abundant life, life to the full that can only come through faith in Jesus. Let's pray. God, speak to us this morning. Reveal your glory. Show us who you are. Transform our hearts and our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, the passage begins, um, and the passage tells us that there was a wedding, and at the wedding uh, that, were, this, that was taking place in Galilee was Jesus' mother, and not only Jesus' mother, but Jesus's, Jesus was invited too, and he had with him also invited his disciples. And we can kind of assume that by this stage, there's five uh, disciples that are with him that were invited to the wedding. Do you know who they were, must have been Andrew, 
Uh, and then John, who's not specifically identified, but for all intents and purposes, we're almost certain that it was John that was with him. And then remember, Andrew went and got his brother, who was Simon Peter, who Jesus called Peter. So at the moment, there would be the three. And then Mason, Mason did a fabulous job last week, and it was just great. I uh, appreciate all that he did. Didn't he do a great job of handling God's word? Why don't we say thank you, Mason, and all that you did for... Uh, bringing the passage of Nathaniel straight right to life. But of course, there was Philip and Nathaniel who also became followers of Jesus and started following him. So there's at least the five that are with him that come to the, come to the wedding at Cana. And so here's this picture of Jesus with his disciples, with his mother at a wedding. And weddings were joyous occasions in first century Palestine. I mean, there were were times of exuberance and joy. What a moment in a couple's life when finally they are getting married. And and they normally lasted seven days, seven days a a wedding. That, That was the normal time. And you weren't always expected to stay for the whole seven days. But what happened is on the first day was the most important one. And if you were coming to the wedding, that would be the day to show up and to be there. And so on this first day of, of the wedding feast, everybody would have come, everyone would have been there. And as the, as the week went on, new people might have come and others would have left. But it was a time of joy right throughout the week. You'd Definitely go if you could, if you're invited. I mean, to be invited and not to attend would have been rude. And often the whole town was invited and it was something that you were honoured to go to and you would go. And the responsibility of the bridegroom and his family was to provide, to invite people to come to the wedding, to provide them with hospitality and to actually fail in that task to not have enough food or enough wine was embarrassing at the least. But when it came to the wine running out, this was an absolute disaster. I mean, people had actually sued the bride, the bride's family had sued the bridegroom for not providing enough wine. That was such an embarrassment that expectations had not been met. It was shame was brought along the family. And so there were times when bridegroom, the bride would, be, would sue the bridegroom and their family for this disaster. What a way to start a wedding, hey? <laughs> Terrible. It was such, in, such an important thing. And, 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 you know, even in the ancient writings, you know, around, or writings from around that time, Actually, thieves were listed among those who didn't provide for their wedding guests well enough. You know? So there's thieves and then there's those who don't provide for their wedding guests. It was a serious problem. So right in the midst of this wedding, <gasps> they're having fun, but then the wine runs out. And not only is it embarrassing, it could be a disaster for all the people there. A, a joyful inca- occasion turns out, to be an embarrassing one. Now, as we just pause and stop, many of us start off life and think that life is absolutely fantastic. And, and we think that there's life is full of joy and, and we love, we think we're invincible and, and we kind of enjoy living our life. But every now and again, the wine runs out. In life, doesn't it? The the joy of actually feeling like life is good and and everything's great. All of a sudden, our joy can turn to sadness when we realise that what we thought was so fulfilling 
and brought so much joy to our life, the part, the fun, the everything, comes to a complete <gasps> and you don't have the resources anymore. I mean, whether it be that you find yourself exhausted with the pressures of life, overwhelmed with worry about what comes up next time, not able to cope with what's happening in the lives of your children or in your marriage or, or whatever it is, sometimes the wine runs out in our lives. And when that happens, it can be disastrous. You can be frustrated. You can be upset. But the certain thing is there's a problem that needs to be solved. And this morning as we look at this passage together, I just want to focus on three things. There's many things I could focus on in this passage. But I'm just going to tell you up front what they are. First is I think this passage shows us that Jesus shows us what it is to be, an, be obedient to the Father. And I think... It's so important for you and I today to see how is Jesus obedient to the Father in this passage because it's going to help us in our lives be obedient to him. The second thing, just so you know where we're heading this morning, is that I think this passage shows that Jesus signals to us in this passage that he and he alone can make us clean forever. And the third thing I just want to point out this morning from this passage is this, that Jesus gives us grace in absolute overwhelming abundance. And it's there for us when the wine in our lives runs out. So what happens here? They go, Jesus goes to Mary at this point when the wine runs out and she says to Jesus, they have no more wine. And, and Jesus' response is this. This is what he says. Dear woman... Why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. So this is a surprising response, don't you think? I mean, Jesus knew when he said it that people would be surprised at his response. And I think John, the evangelist, as he's writing down this gospel you know, and recording what happened, would have think, oh, they're going to be surprised at that. You know, Jesus saying, dear, dear woman, just like that. Because it wasn't, if you look back at the culture in those days, you know, some people read into this passage and go, oh, to say dear woman in a public setting at a wedding was a cultural thing that you should have done and this was the right thing to, that's rubbish, you know. It wasn't a cultural thing to say dear woman to your mum. And there's no reason why he couldn't have said mother, mother, why don't you involve me, why do you involve me in this? So, so what is he he's saying? Why doesn't he just call her mother or, or mum? Instead, he, he says, woman. And, and the response is, it's, it isn't quite disrespectful, but it's at least abrupt. And, and I think it would be like calling someone, uh, look, madam, dear madam, you know, or lady. And, and Jesus is doing this. Right there, it'd be the equivalent of doing that today to your own mum. And I think what makes this even more concerning or, or a little bit strange is that it not only seems rude and, and short, but he also says this, this, you know, why do you involve me? Why do you involve me? Dear woman, you know, distance himself from his mum, why do you involve me? You think, what is going on here with Jesus? 
That phrase um, you know, can, be, can be sort of translated, what does this have to do with me? Uh, and, and right through the, the, the Bible, this little phrase occurs at least five times. You know, uh, what does this have to do with me? And it's five times in the New Testament that it's recorded, and every time it's on the lips of demons. Demons are speaking this to Jesus, and what they're saying is, you know, uh, it seems that Jesus is intruding in their domain. And, and so the demons say, you know, what have you, got, what have you to do with us, son of God? What, why are you getting in our territory? Why are you walking where we, have, where we are? And the gist of it seems to be, I don't want you pressing in here. You shouldn't be coming to me like this. This is not your Affair. This is what Jesus seems to be saying to his mother. Dear woman, you know, dear woman, what, what, why do you involve me in this? This is not your area. So Jesus is, you know, abrupt with his mother, calls a woman, says, what, don't involve me in this. And it seems unexpected. And we're kind of wondering Why? Why did Jesus not approve of what she said? Why? And then the passage gets even stranger, doesn't it? Because then she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you, and then Jesus does what he tells her not to do. You know what I mean? It gets stranger and stranger. So first of all, he says, dear woman, don't include me in this. And then he goes on and does what he says. So he could have actually said, okay, mum, you know, no worries, I'll, I'll do it. Or at least could have said, okay, mum, I'll do it anyway. You know. But he sort of says, dear woman, and distances himself. What's going on here? Why is this happening? Um, I, I think the answer is that Jesus maybe felt a real burden uh, to, to make it absolutely clear <laughs> to his mum and to his brothers and sisters and to everybody else who was there uh, around, even to all of us today, that because of Jesus is who he is, physical relationships on earth were not going to control him or oblige him in any way. So even though Mary was his mother, just because she was his mother didn't mean that she could dictate how he would obey the Father's will. And so he wanted to distance himself from his mum and put this in there to say, Mum, you know, dear woman, just because I'm your son doesn't mean that you take priority over me doing the Father's will. You have no special advantage when it comes to ministry. And his mother and his uh, physical brothers and sisters wouldn't be any more likely to be saved just because they're his family. Like just because of that, they need to become his followers too. Just because she was his mum, she still needed to become his follower. Uh, The reason that Jesus is bound, the, the reason this is happening, I think, is that Jesus is so bound to do his father's will. More than anything, it's a priority. I think it's a great example to us all, isn't it? I mean, in our own lives, 
and in, in what we're doing that obedience to, to God the Father needs to come first. Jesus followed him above everything else. And, and this is what Jesus said in John, John 8, 28. He said, I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak as the Father has taught me. And in John 15 and verse 17 to 19, he said, My father is working until now and I am working. The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. And his miracles are not going to be done at his mother's bidding. You get it? He's not going to do this for anyone else except for the father. It's entirely obedient to God the Father. I and the Father are one, he says. I'm following him. I think what, what happened is, is many people in that day probably assumed that because he had a physical family, his mum and his brothers and sisters, they had kind of an inside track influence over him. And it's seen often, you remember in Luke 11, 27 and 28, recall that time, there's a woman in the crowd and she called out and raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and who nursed you. And Jesus replied, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Another I think what he's saying here is that um, there's no spiritual advantage to being related to Jesus. It's those who hear the word and obey. They're the ones. And another time you remember Jesus was speaking in a house and people came and said, this is Mark 3, 32 to 34. Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, Jesus said. Who are my mother and my brother? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. In other words, it's followers, not family, who are going to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not based on who you know or who your parents are or or whatever, but you are saved. You must become a follower of Jesus. And if you're Mary or if you're Jesus' brothers or sisters, you still need to become a follower of Jesus. Do you know, this whole priority of who we serve and follow is a big question. I remember when our family, you know, Mandy and I and the girls, decided that we would leave Melbourne where every single member of our family lives, <laughs> all the extended people uh, we had to. We sensed such a strong call of of God's and His leading that we knew that it was far more important to follow God's will rather than stay in a place that was convenient for our family because our family was there. I think Marg and John. You remember one morning they sat here on the platform. It might have been morning or at night. I remember them saying, we said, what is the hardest thing about going to Uganda? Do you remember what they said? It's leaving our family. It's leaving our family. And last Sunday night, Josh, their son, was baptised here, making a public declaration for Jesus, and they missed it. I mean, what pain that must have been. But for Marg and John, following God's will, obeying his call is far more important than 
than doing what we want to do or doing what family expect us to do, or what even might be nice for the family. I think it's not just for that, but how about for you? Are you afraid of doing what God wants you to do? Are you afraid of obeying him because of what your family might think? Perhaps you have a fear of rejection by your family if you publicly declare your faith in Jesus. Perhaps you fear their reaction or their criticism. Perhaps you'd, they'd freak out if you said, we feel God is leading us to overseas mission. Perhaps there are some of you this morning who might not be, you know, it might not be that dramatic, but for you in your home, there are unbelievers and for you just to read the Bible, you feel a little bit intimidated and, and, and maybe there are people that are trying to say you shouldn't be praying, you shouldn't be reading your Bible, you shouldn't be doing things like serving or, or giving or, or, or honouring God with your life. And Jesus said, for me, dear woman, I need to do what God is wanting me to do. And it just so it, it seemed that this is just the first point to bring out today out of this passage. Jesus shows us here clearly what it is to obey the Father. To follow him first to do that. You're doing that. Second thing I want to show you today from this passage, I think it's saying is that Jesus signals to us through this passage that he can make us clean forever. There's a few reasons I think that this is happening. You'll notice what Jesus says after, uh, after this. I, I think what happens is, is Jesus chooses to use water Water jars that were appointed for purification, uh, not for drinking. They weren't jars that were there for drinking. They were there for purification when he performs this miracle. So, and he fills them with wine. And the reason is that he meant to point to his own death as the ultimate purification for sins that would nullify and that would uh, replace all the Jewish uh, purification rituals. So I think what Jesus was, was saying, uh, you know, this is what I'm going to do. He turned the water into wine. And I think what he was pointing was that in his own death, he would be the, the one that would make us clean forever in, in dealing with sin. Uh, why do I think that? few reasons. First of all, it says here, Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Jesus replied, my, my time has not yet come. When he says my time has not yet come, my hour, some translation says, uh, it's not talking about a, a literal um, time. It, it, what it's talking about is his death and resurrection. When he would die for sinners to, to make us clean and pure, uh, that we would be purified. So in the Gospel of John, you can see this over and over again at John chapter 7 and verse 30. It says, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one had laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. John 8, 20, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. John 12, 27, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour, he says. And John 12, 23 
23 and 24, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See how the hour is is looking forward and, and pointing towards his death, where the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world would take away the sin of the world once and for all. This is why he says, my hour has not come. Why do you involve me? This is not the time for me to die on the cross and rise again. It's not that time now. This would be the ultimate purification. And John, the evangelist, would write in 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. It cleanses us from all sin. Sin. It's the first reason my hour is not here come. Seems to point to the fact that what Jesus is saying is he turns this water into wine, is that he's the one who can make us clean forever. The second reason I think is that he actually goes ahead with the miracle. So not only does he say, My hour has not yet come, it's not the time, but what I'll do is I'll perform a miracle that will point to this is 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 coming. <laughs> This great joy is about to take place and I'm going, going to do this. So he, he rebuffed his mum by saying, my hour's not yet come. Nevertheless, he goes ahead and does the miracle. And it seems to be here that what he's saying is, even though my hour's not here, I will give you a sign of my death. I will give you an, an acted miracle <laughs> that will show you what my death on the cross and resurrection will bring, what it will mean. And the third reason I think this passage is pointing to the fact that Jesus can make us clean forever is that he uses jars for purification. See what happens next. She says, do whatever he tells you. And it says, the mother said to the servant, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jesus for ceremonial washing, for purification. Uh, this is what they, they w- w- were used for. They were not used for drinking, you'll notice. And, and they were used for bathing and purifying. And what would happen is people would have come into the wedding and they would have washed their hands and as they entered the wedding. And in this way, they would keep themselves from becoming unpure, unclean. And so it seems that Jesus wants to say that this is what my hour will be like. I'll take the purification rituals, all the washings, all the efforts that you do to be pure before me, I'll take all of those of Israel, all of, all of the ones that your Jewish faith is using and I will replace them with the once a completely new purification. My blood. I will, I will turn the water into wine, symbolising the moving from the rituals to the washing of my red blood. You'll notice that, that Jesus uh, says in John 6, 55, my blood is real drink. Uh, unless you drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no 
life in you. John 6, 53. Here he is turning water into wine, red wine, symbolising his blood that would replace all needs for ritual purification. It's an acted out miracle of his own death in this hour. The final death and resurrection will be the ultimate purification of sins once for all. The book of Hebrews talks all about how we have a a new once for all sacrifice, completely different to the rest. There's no more need for any ritual cleansing. There is just one way for us today to be cleansed. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood shed on the cross. His death in our place. His penalty taking our sin upon himself. There is no way for the wine to keep going unless you drink from the red blood of Jesus and thank him for what he's done. Whole new way. Whole new life. That's why John in Revelation 7 said they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The glory of Jesus is that he alone, once and for all, made purification for sins. Don't ever turn to ritual. Don't ever try and do things to make yourself right, you know, to earn your salvation. Jesus is the one and only one that can make you clean forever. The the last point, Jesus gives his grace to us abundantly. I mean, how clean, how much has he got? to help us be clean? I mean, how much forgiveness has he got? You know, how, much, how deep is his grace? How much can he really forgive us? Well, Jesus gives, us, gives his grace abundantly to those who ask. Have a look in the passage. There were six jars uh, containing between, uh, from 20 to 30 gallons from 20 to 30 gallons. Um, I, I thought, gee, some of you people who are um, dairy farmers would just know straight away what 20 to 30 gallons looks like. But um, actually, I thought I'd bring this here. This is our bin from home, from our garage. And this uh, holds 60 litres, okay? So now there were six jars, and if... Uh, the, the first, it says if there was 30 gallons, when that would be equivalent of 114 litres. Now, this is a 60-litre um, bin. So you'd say almost double the size of this would be one of the jars, okay? So this is on the upper ex- estimates, you know, uh, but what would be here, there, six of those right along. So, you know, Jesus wasn't just trying to restore a little bit of the wine back for the the wedding. He was giving them so much wine that it could last for wedding after wedding after wedding. Uh, So on the 
uh, upper estimates, it would be as much as 445, on the lowest estimate, 445 litres of wine he provided. On the upper estimate, it was 680 litres of wine, 180 gallons. And any way you look at it, it's just a lot of wine. Why did Jesus give so much wine? Why did he do that? I think he was trying to show us through the sign that he is the ultimate purifier, that he gives us grace and forgiveness in absolute abundance. You don't have to question whether God's grace is enough to cover your sin. He was just wanting to show overwhelmingly, I can turn water into wine and make it so abundant that you will know that my blood that is shed for you is just absolutely enough. Jesus is a very, very extravagant giver. He doesn't just give us enough. He gives us super abundant. He overwhelms us. I mean, what the guests ran out of, now they had enough to last them for so long. And this is the same thing that Jesus did when he, there were people that ran out of food. They had five loaves and two fishes so that he, he turned those five loaves and two fishes not just into enough. He, he fed 5,000 men and their families with five loaves and two fishes. And when they'd eaten their fill, they had just enough. Was that right? No, they had 12 baskets of bread and fish left over. They gave them more than they could eat. They overwhelmed them and God is saying here in this miracle, I have more than enough to help you when the wine runs out. I have more than enough forgiveness. I have more than enough grace. You can leave your rituals behind. Faith in me is enough, more than enough. Abundantly enough. Paul ex- uh, experienced this kind of extravagant grace because he said, even though I was a blasphemer, th- this is in 1 Timothy 1, 13 to 14, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The l- grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have just a little bit. No, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, a life in all its abundance. I don't want you to just live and get by. I want you to know life in the fullness of this life. He's generous. He's full. We may be uh, poor according to this world standard. We may not have much financially, but we're rich in what God gives to us. We may not have everything. Uh, we, we may have nothing you know, physically, but we have everything that we need. We've got an extravagant God, a God who lavishes with his, with his blessings. Uh, his grace means he's generous to a fault. I mean, all you have to do today is go and, and look at incredible things we're saying, indescribable, uh, amazing. You know, who has told every lightning bolt where it should go? You know, he just doesn't make a little lightning bolt. It fills the whole sky. If you go to the edge of the ocean and you look at the ocean, the ocean is just limitless. 
I mean, it's so huge. If you look at our plant life or if you spend time looking at, at animals or at fish, or, or you can spend years studying the varieties and the, and the beauty of them. If you look, God has so much in this world for us to plunder and enjoy. And his grace and his mercy is like that. You remember the story? They filled the jars. They filled them to the brim, and when the master had tasted the wine, he, he, he was absolutely amazed. Jesus said to the servants, fill the, water, uh, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet, and, so they, and they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realise where it had come from. And though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, hey, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Not only was the wine abundant, it was the best wine And do you know what? Jesus offers you life in all its fullness, abundant grace, but also he offers you life to the full through him. Life with Jesus is abundantly better. Life with Jesus is abundantly good. Life with Jesus is is better than anything you can ever imagine. For us who follow him, for us who have put our faith and our trust and hope with him. We have so much waiting for us. We have so much joy that we have now in terms of forgiveness, grace, his Holy Spirit, his word, fellowship within his church, opportunities to serve and share and give. All of this brings great joy. But you know what the Bible says for us? The Bible says that he is immeasurably, in Ephesians 3.20 it says the He's able to give immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To a thief dying on the cross, he gave the gift of paradise. To a woman caught in adultery, he gave, uh, he gave her amazing grace and forgiveness. To a grieving father, he gave back a child from the dead. Uh, To the one who denied him, he gave the keys to the kingdom. And to we who follow him, he offers us eternal life. The Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. You think we know all what God has given us? Wait till we go to be with him. It will be absolutely overwhelming to look God face to face and spend eternity in heaven with him. You'll be filled with joy forever. And this is through our Saviour. This morning, have you understood the glory of Jesus while people were drinking their new Uh, better than ever could imagine wine that had come straight from Jesus' miracle. Many would have said, wow, this is pretty amazing. 
But we know for a fact that the disciples looked and they saw what had happened and they saw the glory of Jesus and they put their faith in him and they became his followers. This morning, if you've never put your faith in him, there's no better time than today. The wine might have run out in your life. Well, now is the time to put your faith and your trust in him because he promises to bring you forgiveness and grace and fullness of life as you look to him through Jesus' death on the cross. Have you done that? Do it today. You don't have to put your hand up or do anything. Just right from within your heart, cry out, ask him to forgive you. If you're a follower of Jesus today, may this story deepen your faith. It shows us what a son, how a son obeys his father, how we can obey his father. It shows us that Jesus is the only purifier, the one that can really save us and cleanse us. And the final thing, it shows that God's grace is overwhelmingly abundant, more than enough for all that we face. Let's pray together, shall we? God, we thank you. Thank you for sending your son. We've seen his glory. We've been overwhelmed by your grace and we bask in it. We, we rejoice in its abundance. We rejoice in the fullness of forgiveness. There's no condemnation anymore. And God, we thank you. We look forward to spending our lives serving you and going to be with you forever. Lord, for those who don't know you, hear their cry today. And Lord, would you receive them as your followers as they put their faith in you. And Lord, we pray that our church, our church with a passion and vision to thrive, that we would help lead people to see your glory, to have faith in you, and to live that life to the abundance, that thriving life that only comes through surrender to you. Oh, God, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. In these final moments now, I'd just love you to take your blue cards and just to respond. It might be this morning that there's something that you want to say. Maybe it's something that you just want to give praise to God for, how he's been blessing you in your life. Maybe there's something that you just want to comment, thank you, God. (laughs) Maybe it's a prayer request this morning. Maybe it's that you want to uh, put your faith in him. Maybe this morning it's overcoming the fear and being baptised. Why don't you just take a moment just to respond, you and God, in these moments.